Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as a two-man band is Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm very good. Well, much better than Sam, aren't I? Like, um, well, yeah, man. Well, this is the news. Yeah. What's wrong with him today? As uh, our, our resident hypochondriac has uh, has got himself uh, a bug um, this week, and basically Sam said he has been up all night. He thinks he's got a twenty four hour bug. I don't want to rule out the possibility that the prawns that we had in the pub last night. I did think when he ordered prawns, I was like, "Oh, I probably wouldn't order prawns in here." <laughs> um, I did think that could be a problem. He said he's. Felt like he's got a 24-hour bug. He's been vomiting all night. Oh. That, for me, sounds like food poisoning. I wouldn't have touched those prawns with a barge bowl, I'll yeah, be honest. Yeah, I mean, that is horrendous if that's what he's got. Um, I've been sick once on, on prawns, and it was not fun in any way. Um, so, yeah, it's his own fault, isn't it, if that's the case? Yeah, exactly. Spare no quarter, no sympathy. But um, we do hope he gets better soon. <laughs> get well soon, it's mate. Good to, yeah, get well soon. Um, but this is your own fault. <laughs> if you dance with the devil, don't get worried when you get dragged into hell. Today, we're going to be talking about Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United. And a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by John McKenzie, who's a Leeds fan and runs a selection of brilliant podcasts. We'll talk about them a little bit later as well. And um, he's going to be talking to us about the things that he learned over the course of Marcelo Bielsa's tenure in charge of his club. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. And we'll have a little chat as well about what Jesse Marsh has to do when he gets the reins at Leeds United. Uh, But before that, it's time for things we love. And I'm going to take precedent here, DJ. I'm going to, I'm going to call, going to call rank uh, and I'm going to go first because what I love this week is one, Quivine Kelleher's performance in the Carabao Cup final. Now, obviously, if anyone who watched the Carabao Cup final will know it was a brilliant game of football. Um, and young Quivine Kelleher, the Irish lad in, in, in Liverpool's goal, who was given the vote of confidence by Jurgen Klopp before the game. I love that he came out and he said, he's been our cup keeper. There's absolutely no chance he doesn't start. You've seen Kepa be the cup keeper for Chelsea for the whole way through, but it was Edouard Mendy who, who got the nod between the sticks for Thomas Tuchel. Jurgen Klopp kept faith with Quivine Keller, which was one, a really magical thing and a real show of confidence in a young goalkeeper in a big game. You know, this is the first major piece of domestic silverware uh, of the English football calendar. This is no, you know, no mean feat whatsoever. And also put Liverpool on course for what could be, I'm not saying it will be, but what could be a historic quadruple. So a real show of faith in Kelleher. Um, and he repaid that faith, not only with some absolutely ridiculous saves during the game uh, where he was unbelievable, but also by converting his penalty in the shootout, ice cold, um, and then watching as Kepa fired his over the bar. Um, so one, that performance. But the thing I really loved was I saw an Instagram post from Sander Vesterveld. Um, some of you will remember, a Liverpool keeper from the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and at the 
AXA training centre in Kirby, where Liverpool moved from Melwood. Um, they have a goalkeeper's wall, which has a kind of pictures of all the goalkeepers who have ever won trophies with Liverpool on it. And it says in safe hands on the bottom of it. Um, and he, Sando Westerveld posted saying, welcome to the wall, Kravine Kelleher. Yeah, we'll find you a good spot on this. I just thought it was a real nice thing to see. Like, oh, like a young keeper, given the faith. Now he's won the cup, you know, got to got to lift it, all of the great scenes. Um, and then now he's getting put on the Liverpool Hall of Fame wall for goalkeepers. That's a big thing. He's on there with some massive names, Pepe Reina, Alisson, Westerveld himself. But obviously the keepers, you know, from the 70s and 80s who were the, you know, the major Liverpool keepers. And, you know, there are some iconic names in there as well. Uh, Bruce Grobelar, and his wobbly legs, all sorts of, of people in here. Um, and now Kravine Keller is going to be put onto that wall as well. So uh, amazing for him, I think. And um, uh, yeah, just a, just a really cool kind of concept as well that they have this wall for keepers who win them chosen. Yeah, look, he's having an amazing season. He's only played eight games, but he's had a great season. Like he's, he's really like shot through in terms of his profile. He's only 23. Um, you know, it takes a lot to, to be a backup goalkeeper because You've got, to, you've got to be prepared to come on at any time, step into some big games. He stepped in in that Chelsea match, didn't he, in the Premier League um, this season too. Um, this is a really high-profile match. And not only was he saving penalties, has to step forward and take one. And to do so in the style that he did, I didn't realise that he used to be a striker as a kid. Um, <laughs> and it, and it, up till he was 15, apparently, he, he was on pitch. Um, and I think that showed, didn't it? The, the manner in which he dispatched that spot kick was absolutely unreal. Um, yeah, definitely turned up the the pressure on on Kepper, who then fired his. Well, I don't. I think that's still flying through the air, isn't it? Um, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant for him, and that'll be great to get him on that wall. Yeah, absolutely. Quivine Keller up there now alongside his countryman Elisha Scott, probably Liverpool's most famous ever goalkeeper. I just have to call him Keller, really by cool the way, one. because however many times you, you say do. that first name, I cannot say that. Well, we might come back to that one later. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's get on to your thing we love. And I've got a funny feeling this might relate to what you were talking about last week. Yeah, I mean, two weeks of MLS back to back. That's where we're at. I promise I won't do this every week, but I, I previewed the season. So I'm going to follow up on the opening weekend because, well, it was a belter. But the thing I love, obviously, is Carlos Vela. Um, LAFC won 3-0 at the weekend and Vela was back in the team and back in the goals. He scored all three. He got a hat-trick. King, Vela, uh, they crowned him on the day. Um, no, I wasn't sure exactly what we would be getting from Vela this season. Um, I think we might already have our answer. We're going to get the best player in the league, certainly the best goal scorer in the league, if this is going to carry on. In 2019, Vela scored 34 goals and got 15 assists. Unbelievable numbers he can hit. Um, LFC really missed him when he was out last season. Sometimes one man really does make a team. And that looks like being the case here, to be honest, with Vela. It was a really good weekend of MLS. Look, um, LA Galaxy equally relied on Chikorito. He he popped up with a last-minute goal for them. Uh, it was brilliant too. Turned his man inside out and uh, smashed his one into the roof of the net. Uh, Jimmy Chara, I don't know if you saw this, he scored an unbelievable mm. bicycle kick for Portland Timbers. Uh, that's worth having a look at if you haven't seen it. Um, and Jack, your Atlanta boys won as well. 
Yeah, they did. Very, very impressive performance. And, and Luis Araujo got off the mark, which is a, a nice one. Was delighted to see that. And the big story was Caleb Wiley, though, coming off the bench and, and scoring as well. A moment that I don't think the fans or him will forget in a hurry. Yeah, a really, cool. really good goal. Yeah. Um, so it's a lovely finish as well, just to like flick it around the keeper and just like watch it roll in while he's already off celebrating. Yeah, it was, it was cool. cool. It was pretty magnificent. So yeah, a really, really good opening weekend of MLS. Long may it continue. Yeah, I won't talk about um, it every week, I promise. But I do go and watch MLS. It's good fun. Yeah, we're having a good time. Um, right, then after the break, we are going to be joined by John to talk Marcelo Bielsa, Leeds United and everything he learned having such a great man in charge of his club. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where I'm delighted to say that we are joined by one of my favourite football podcasters, Mr. John McKenzie of Analytics FC, of All Stats, aren't we? Of the new podcast about tactics. John, thank you for so much for, for coming on Ranks and, and welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's, um, it's a podcast that I listen to and yeah, hopefully it would have been under better circumstances, yeah. but you can't plan for these things, can you? Absolutely. It's, it's the tough one, isn't it? You're always looking at the, the sad things. And it always does feel like we get people on and like, oh, sorry, something's changed and we're not that great happy about it. But I suppose the first question is, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm okay now. Um, it's it's a funny one. I put out a piece at the weekend, which um, was a little bit about how my experience of Bielsa changed through through time uh, and I felt as though with certain decisions that were made around the the Kika Kassir incident I'd already mourned Bielsa once uh, but then I, over the course of the last weekend I've just been mourning him again in a different way and um, yeah it's been it's been emotional it's hard to state how how a football club and a football manager can make you feel this way. Um, but I, I suspect a lot of other fans listen in and think this is just nuts. I can't get why this is happening. But um, yeah, it's been it's been an, an interesting few days and I think I'm just about coming out the other side of it. It's yeah. funny, isn't it, when the appointments are made and you have no idea what you're in for. Like you, you presume that the manager's going to be there like short term, won't work out, like this guy's not going to do it. And then they slowly start to find a way into your heart. And once they're there, it's so strange, isn't it, once you have to let go of them and then you have to straight away take somebody else into your heart. And whether you like them or not, you've got to like them like, for your team because you, you want your team to get out of whatever situation it is that you're in. And I guess that's what you've, you've got now. Uh, with Jesse Marsh, yeah, for sure, it's uh, it's it's definitely a bittersweet. I think a lot of Leeds fans at the moment are just like, oh, I don't, I just don't even care about the the club right now. I like, I don't want to like this new manager, and um, I'm sure that will change when when we finally sort of go into that final straight of games, which will decide whether or not we stay in the Premier League. But uh, at the moment, I think for a lot of people, Marcelo Bielsa was about so much more than the football. Or maybe that's a cliche that doesn't really work because I think he's made them realise that football is about more than just the points total at the end of your name on the, on the table. Mm. Well, that's what we're going to get into today, John. And it's the kind of the trick is, you know, kind of things you've learned from having Marcelo Bielsa at the helm of, of your club. And that, that's the kind of ranking in, in no particular order, we should add, that you're going to do for us today. And so I suppose it is a nice time to get into it and, and kind of get into the mix of uh, trying to, I suppose, help people understand why it felt so different for Leeds fans and, and Marcelo Bielsa and what, what it was that kind of made that bond burn so brightly. Um, so the first thing I've got down is just touching on what we've been talking about, actually, that uh, the first thing I learned from having Marcelo Bielsa manage my club is that he is great for the fans of the club. Um, not just for the, the reasons that we've talked about. Um, it, he, he made the football so much better than it was. 
he got us back into the Premier League after 16 years of wandering in the wilderness. Um, he achieved something that many of us just we're starting to think would never happen. Uh, but he also has what I like to call a preferential option for the fan. Um, in his in his, po- his press conferences, he was always talking about why he felt it was his responsibility to answer questions because at the end of the day, it was the fans that he was responsible to. So those press conferences were him explaining what was going on at the club so that fans could understand it. He was very clear about um, the responsibility that the football players had to those fans. Uh, there's that famous story about litter picking around Thorpe Arch um, where Bielsa made the the players do basically menial tasks for the amount of time that it took to earn the price of a football a ticket to watch Leeds just to make them aware of what it was that the fans, some of the fans go through in order to spend the time on a Saturday afternoon watching um, the, the, their team play. And yeah, there was that idea, I think, inherent to his football that football is about entertainment and it is about the fans. And despite the fact that it has become a cipher for, I think, a lot a lot more in terms of, you know, the, the hyper-financialization of football, that for him, the, his main priority was to entertain the fans. Uh, and that was the sort of baseline for him. So, yeah, that's my first point, that, that he's just great for the fans of the club because he, I think he gave us a much more holistic account of what football is supposed to be. We have lots of people who listen to this podcast who will support fans of of top clubs who, you know, are in the hunt for trophies on a regular basis. And I'm not, there's no disrespect to Leeds, but, you know, both Dean and I are Fulham fans. We, you know, we haven't won major trophies in, in our lifetime as long as you don't count the Intertoto Cup. Um, but, you know, on, on the whole, we're looking at teams here and at least is at least positioned right now, or at least for the last two decades, who haven't been at the, you know, the sharp end of, of those tournaments that, you know, you're looking at top six clubs or, or clubs across Europe that are looking at winning. And and I suppose the kind of question here, the thing, the thing that I've always felt with it is that Bielsa made it feel like it doesn't matter if you're not in those conversations all the time, because, you know, for the 90% of clubs around the world, you're not going to be in those conversations. And yes, football to a point is about winning games and is about, you know, trying to, to up yourselves to the highest possible level. And that can be done. We've seen it happen. Um, but for lots of us, it's about, you know, making sure that those things are, are entertaining, making sure that you're enjoying yourself, making sure that those away trips and things are, are, are special. And that's what I think spoke to me from, from what you were just saying. It's about, you know, if you're not at the, the sharp end of winning trophies, it's about making sure that it's, it's enjoyable, it's fun. And it felt like Bielsa brought that back to Leeds after so many years of it just being, what what is going on here? And, and I think maybe that period in the wilderness, as you called it there, it, it's kind of key here because it was such a dark period in the club's history. Yeah, and I think the, the reason why it's been so hard over the last few days is because for most of us, we don't necessarily care so much about those other aspects of, you know, dirty things like, the, as I said, the points total at the end of your <laughs> your name on the table. The issue is that obviously the owners do care about that. The owners do want the club to stay up in the Premier League because it, it, it would devalue their investment if it didn't. And so I think the part of the reason why it's so tough to come to terms with is that for most of the fan base, the journey has been moving away from that mindset, which I think the owners like to sort of impel on people that results Mm. are everything to this idea that they aren't. And so when you are getting rid of a manager like Bielsa because of of that sort of panic towards the end of a season that you might actually go down, it just leaves everyone in limbo because we're all on different pages to the ownership at this point. 
Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out, obviously, a lot of our listeners aren't in England, um, so perhaps haven't been to a Leeds match or have even beyond, you know, the last couple of years seen much of Leeds United. I think it's worth pointing out like the fan culture that actually exists at Leeds. Like this is a fan base that is unbelievable. Like when you were got kind of in the in the football league and some of your away attendances at the places that Leeds were going, you're filling out away ends all over the country. The atmosphere was always unbelievable. That that never actually went away, did it? Yet the Ellen Road aspect did seem to a little bit like Ellen Road wasn't full every week. And now Ellen Road is unbelievable. I mean, there's that part of this journey as well, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. Like we're filling out a, a 38 seater, thousand seater stadium every week at the moment, uh, despite the the terrible results that we've been going through. And yeah, the the, the, the response for, for the fan base has been, has been massive. And I think that part of the reason, again, why, the fan base is so appreciative to what Bielsa has done is that the, the line that's used a lot is he made us proud of our club again. And I think that was also a big aspect, you know, the, the, the reputation that Leeds has within the, the English footballing hinterland, um, has has often been that, that, that it's sort of scandal ridden and, um, there's been, there's been, you know, there's been violence and, and racism and, and all kinds of uh, bigotry that's happened. And, and I think that with that, on top of that, the fact that we, we fell out of the leagues because of just financial mismanagement uh, and it just seemed to be a roller coaster of everything that can be bad about football. And I think for a lot of people in the fan base, the, the very fact that they could say, you know what, I'm a Leeds United fan and, and that means something now. I think that was really important too. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's move on to your second point, John. Yeah. So the second point I've got is that um, Marcelo Bielsa is great for the players of a club as well. So Marcelo Bielsa took over Leeds United back in 2018 and that that team of players were jobbing around at the bottom of the championship uh, and not up to much. And essentially Bielsa got us promoted with that team, with very few changes to that team. Uh, And even now in the Premier League, we survived quite comfortably last season with that same base of players. Um, so the thing that I learned about Bielsa is that he his systems just allow less technical players to thrive. Uh, and uh, again, I think that sort of adds to the the mystique that we've been talking about in the previous point as well, that it's it's not only that he made us proud of, of, of Leeds United again, it made us proud of a group of players who really weren't up to much before he turned up on the scene. Yeah, I was just going to say, it is unbelievable what he did. I mean, just to use somebody, I don't know, Luke Ayling, for example. Like, Luke Ayling was on nobody's radar, really. Like, I knew him as a a good football league player. Like, honestly, when you got promoted, did I think Luke Ayling was going to remain part of that that setup and, like, not even to remain part of it, but flourish? Like, no, I didn't. And now you look at him, he's like a leader of a Premier League team. And, like, that is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely remarkable. I mean, Luke Ayling was put up one of the, the best set of numbers for progressive uh, carries and, and passes in the in the Premier League last season. He was a really big part of why it was that we were we were finishing comfortably mid-table last season. And yeah, like you say, just a a guy that we brought brought in from Bristol City for I think two hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. Uh, he'd gone through the Arsenal Youth Academy and not really um, succeeded there. He would p- played at Yeovil, places like that, and and suddenly, and he's very open about this as well. And in, in saying that, you know, he never dreamed that he would be a, a Premier League player, and and Marcelo Bielsa made that possible for him. 
Yeah, I mean, you look through this squad and I'm going to, you know, go stroke by stroke here, but you see Ailing there, Adam Forshaw, who was, you know, bumbling around in the Football League. You know, I remember making 80 odd appearances for, for Brentford. Stuart Dallas as well was was at Brentford before, well before Brentford were in the conversation to, to be promoted. Liam Cooper was, was at Leeds forever, wasn't he? 2014 or so. Bamford was bouncing around the championship. Um, there's so many players here. Jack Harrison, I think he'd been at Middlesbrough on loan after he came back from, from New York. It was loads and loads of players here and in this mix who you know were championship players and and look that's fine Pla- championship players can jump up we've seen the likes of Jared Bowen uh, and the like and, and Saeed Ben Rama and, and lots of players come up from championship level and, and thrive at Premier League level but this didn't feel like that it didn't feel like someone was pinching players from the league below and and, and bringing them into a new setup it felt like the the new lease of life that this this group of players got given and look remember there's two championship seasons under Bielsa, the first one where it got to the playoffs and it felt like Leeds, you know, were inevitable. They dropped out of the the automatic places, you know, late on, and it was like, okay, they're the team to beat in the playoffs. Um, and then falling, you know, apart in that in that game against Derby and all of the the things that came with that, and then to go again and be like, okay, that's fine, no, you know, no problem. We'll do that again. We don't need anyone else. We know we've got the capability to do this. I think it was remarkable, and and also that kind of level of being able to raise your game again and the second time round hold it out just felt like it was something very, very special at Leeds. Yeah, that second season in particular in the Championship, we talk about this a lot actually on All Stats, aren't we? But the first seven games of that before Adam Forshaw got injured, we just absolutely controlled games. We were... We were the Man City of the championship that season and had Forshaw not got injured, I think we would have just completely strolled it. I mean, we we won the league by 10 points in the end, but I think we would have just put up a, a points total record. Um, and it was it was remarkable because because the system that Bielsa had developed was, was just so crushing, um, even with players who weren't the best squad in the in the championship by a long way um that that system really suited them it allowed them the space to to overcome some of the the technical deficiencies that maybe some of these players have uh, and it just made them so much greater than the sum of their parts i guess is the cliche that's used but it but it is true the system the the, the the system was about the system. It wasn't ever about the individual players within it. It pulled those players up to another level, and uh, it, it's been it's 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 glorious watching a football team that plays like that. Just to flip it on its head, though, a little bit. I mean, obviously, the the January transfer market. Bielsa was offered players by the club as as prospective signings, and he turned his nose up at almost every single one. Was that to his detriment? Was he too stubborn? Does he d- just love? I know he likes to work with a small squad anyway. Like, how do you read into that? Because yeah, you're right. Absolutely, he's been great for for players um, and turned around careers. But mm. it does seem at times he could have added a certain level of quality to a squad and just decided not to. Yeah, you've anticipated my final point actually. But I, <laughs> I do think that it is the irony of of Marcelo Bielsa's tenures is that the players that he really gets to thrive are the players who are there when he starts at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, now, for a lot of clubs, obviously, he's not really been there long enough for for there to be a, a proper overhaul. Um, so he's only ever done two seasons at any domestic club. So to to go into deep into his fourth season with Leeds is definitely we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto territory. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, yeah, the definitely the the downfall of of Bielsa at Leeds has been that he hasn't been able to bring in the players to to make the system thrive in a weird way. So he arrives at a club and he makes a system that works for the players that are there. But where, in terms of actually, uh, 
being able to realise the areas where he could strengthen the squad and make them better and, and develop that sort of squad churn has been his downfall in, in many mm. respects. Is this a worry then, John, in some ways? Because, you know, you bring in a new manager who doesn't have the same, you know, aspects as Bielsa in this regard and you suddenly go, okay, hang on, maybe these players aren't quite at the level and you say, as you say, the system makes them better than the, the kind of sum of their parts. You know, whether, you know, the plan was to, to bring Jesse Marsh in in the summer or not, whether that was going to be the kind of mutual parting of the ways and, and, and you get that kind of summer to, to overhaul the squad a little bit, to bring players in. Suddenly, Jesse Marsh is thrown into this kind of pit of, here are the players, this is what you've got to work with, make it work. And that's a very different kind of aspect to what it might be if he had come in in the summer, if Bielsa had seen the season out. And, you know, I spoke to you at the weekend and you thought that, Zeng Bielsa see the season out was probably the best thing for everyone involved, including the new manager. That potentially worry you. Yeah, if Bielsa's miracle was turning water into wine, the worry is that Jesse Marsh is going to perform the opposite miracle of turning wine into water, right? And I, I guess that is the the, the big worry that, that I have um, at, at this time. Um, and, and why I think I said to you at the weekend, why I thought staying with Bielsa... The, the, the whole gamble of the Bielsa system is that you you seek to outcreate the opponents. You seek to create more and better chances than the opponent. And yes, that leaves you exposed at the back and it means that you lose heavily to some of the bigger clubs. But it feels as though we've removed Bielsa at a time when actually we're going into a run of games where we might actually see the upside of Bielsa. Mm. Um, and it feels as though it's a huge gamble for me to, to think, well, we've got to win these games. We don't know if that uh, switch is going to flip back on. And we're going to perform in those games. So we'll bring in a new manager. But equally, I could see us just sort of losing the upside, as you said, in that run of fixtures and, and then being in a lot of trouble by the end of it as well. Mm, absolutely. Let's come on to the next point then, John. Yeah, so the third thing I learned about Bielsa managing my club is that Marcelo Bielsa thinks completely differently about defending than almost anyone else in world football. And I think <laughs> a lot of people talk about this Um I, I don't think a lot of people even realise the the extent to which to which it has an impact because most managers care about controlling space, but Bielsa cares about controlling opponents. So he has a man-to-man -man system pretty much across the whole field. And the idea is that if you don't allow any of your opponents space, then they can't cause you any problems. Now, there are caveats to that because he will always have an extra player at the back just to play zonally and, and clear up any messes that are created. Uh, and that player has to come from up front so that we, we have a one player uh, inferiority, I think he calls it, up front. So one player less. Um, and that, that has a couple of effects, but the biggest effect was that we've seen um, oppositions being able to exploit that um, in, inferiority up front by moving the striker across and then getting one of your centre-backs to run quite deep. And the problem is, is that if everyone else is man-marking, there has to be a decision about which players leave their, their markers and, and try and close down the centre-back. And that pulls space apart, pulls players apart, and it cr just creates space for the opponents to exploit it. We've seen that happening a lot in the Premier League this season. But um, yeah, it's very, very different. A lot of people will say, and even Leeds fans will say, oh, we just don't ever have a midfield. Uh, and it's because I think we are conditioned in football to think about space. So any area that is unoccupied, people think, well, that's an exploitable space, which is obviously true. But I think with Bielsa, the idea is that as long as you're near a player for the opponent, 
uh, they'll never be able to settle on the ball properly. And um, uh, and and so yeah, it's made it certainly made me think about defending very differently than than I did before he came in. But um, I think most of us are ready to move back to a, a zonal system and in, in the off ball <laughs> side of the game. <clears throat> It's interesting. I mean, it will be seen as one of his, his downfalls in the end, but ultimately it helped him get success too. And one of the things I heard um, just speaking to people in the back of Bielsa leaving Leeds and trying to find out how it came to this, there was actually last week a, a small group of Leeds players did approach Bielsa, or tried to approach Bielsa, I should say, um, just on behalf of the team to just open up like can we adapt this philosophy slightly right now? Like not only because of the way they were getting ripped apart, but I think that the the confidence of the team was being ripped apart as well. And I think that they just wanted to get through a game without conceding a lot of goals. And from what I understand, three or four players did go to Bielsa and he just wasn't open to it. He just wasn't open to it. And the door was quickly closed. And, you know, then they went into the next game, got battered again. And that was that. Um, is it stubbornness? Is it just an, you know, unbelievable belief in his own methods I'm not sure it's you know it's partly partly I admire him for it partly I'm like oh mate you could have bought yourself a little bit more time here what's what's your feeling on that yeah it's a really tricky one actually because it's hard to know whether or not the the off-ball system failed because the players basically burned out at the end it's it's really tough to to be able to balance off whether or not because I've watched back um video from early in the Premier League last season. Um, so you'll remember the, the the famous opening game we had against Liverpool, 4-3, lost mm-hmm. to Liverpool at Anfield, which sort of really announced Bielsa Ball to, yeah. I think, a wider Premier League audience. And if you watch that game, just the press, the off-ball stuff is just, it it, it works, it clicks, it snaps, it's, it fizzes, it pops. It does everything that you want that system to do. And that doesn't happen now. And I guess there's a the few things, like one of them is is... Have have we been figured out? Is 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 a question. Do do opponents yeah. know what to do? And I'm sure that comes into it. The other thing, as I've said, is that you know we've we've lost a lot of players to long term injury this this season, and people mm. use that as an excuse. But I think you can also argue that the just the long term effect of having a small squad of yeah. players that he's had for th- three seasons going into a fourth season um, has just has just ground them down, and they aren't able to to do that pressing as well. Um, so that's my sort of general take on the off-ball stuff. But in terms of changing things over, we're going to find out this weekend what the impact is going to be of moving from a man-marking system to a more zonal system. And I think I think a lot of Leeds fans are being very naive if they think that we're suddenly just going to go into a, a sort of aggressive man-marking um, press, into a, a sort of zonal, aggressive, ball-oriented press, and it's not going to have any problems whatsoever. So um, I don't know, again, another to use another cliche, be careful what you wish for because um, we are going to experience that at the weekend and it could go very wrong. Mm, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a tricky one as well because if it doesn't go right this season, do you then stick and try and sort it out in the summer or, or do you then cash it all in again and go, right, that didn't work. We have to we have to reset the entire process once again. And that puts you into a, a strange situation. You've talked about defence there, John. I assume you're going you're gonna to flip it over and, and talk about the attack. Yeah, yeah, we have to talk about the attack because, again, another thing I learned of having Marcelo Bielsa manage my club is that his attacking system makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts. And I think all you need to do to to to, to talk about this sort of aspect is just think back to some of the goals that, that we've scored. Um, and a lot of people like to talk about 
um, the the uh, Mateus Click goal it was the first goal in the Bielsa area in competitive football. But uh, there's a Stuart Dallas goal, like, I think, against Derby. I should know this, uh, but I think for a lot of people, it sort of stands out as being um, sort of emblematic of what we got from from Bielsa. Just really um, fast transitional football with third man runs so players running um off other players and and the ball ending up at their feet and uh, there's just so much there's so much glorious glorious uh, memories of of wonderful goals that that yeah it's it's hard not to just just think back and uh, and uh, fondly on on the Bielsa area in terms of the the attacking side of things but so much about what Bielsa was about as I've talked about is that system buying space for players who weren't maybe quite so technically gifted as as other players at the top level um, being able to manipulate opponents to create that space and time so that you were able to get more out of that team than than maybe you would have done in another system that's it isn't mm-hmm. it it's that it's, it's that kind of click of you know, where do you find this, you know, how do you make uh, a technically inferior without being, you know, disrespectful team? And and it is, you give them time, you give them time to find the pass, you give them time to find, you know, the space and, and make those things. And Bielsa was a master of that. It was, you know, it, a lot of people think, okay, how do you survive in the Premier League? You bring in better players, but it doesn't work like that always, you know, because ultimately a lot of the time the teams coming up from the championship are never going to be able to compete financially one but two you know in terms of how deep do you have to you know a Southampton who are playing really well this year and has no one and that's no disrespect to them but have been in the Premier League for what best part of a decade and you think okay can we get a squad anywhere near as good as Southampton's who finished mostly in the bottom half of the Premier League and the answer is no you can't you can't build that in a year you can't build it in two years you have to find an edge for yourselves and you could do it in different ways. You look at someone like Burnley who found an edge in, in the way that Dice sets his teams up and, and plays football. But if you don't want to do that and you don't want to revert to a different style of, of how you've came up from, um, finding space and finding time to give your inferior players the chance and the ability to, to try and take on those at a higher level, it's absolutely crucial. And I think that's what we found out last year. Yeah, again, it's all it's all about outlier stuff, I think, with, with Bielsa. We've already talked about the, the defensive st- structure People think about defensive structure in a very spatial way, as I said, because that's the way that most teams play. Uh, and I think the same is true with Bielsa in terms of the squad build-up, is that people think about players in terms of technical quality. And I think with Bielsa, his big focus is physical quality. And people don't think of physical quality necessarily as being a good thing or a bad or a bad thing. They just don't think in those terms. So I think a lot of Leeds fans were like, well, you know, we'll go up, we'll get a bit of money from being in the Premier League, and then we'll start bringing in better players quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the problem was is that and, and we've seen this happen really with with Leeds insofar as we've brought in better technical players in, particularly Rodrigo, and he hasn't really suited the system very well at all because he often isn't up to the physical demands of the system. So I think part of the reason why we're talking about Jesse Marsh now, you mentioned it in, I think in the previous um point um where we were talking about um, leads not tearing up the copybook and st- sticking with a similar sort of style of coach. And I think that's why they've had to bring in someone like Jess- Jesse Marsh, because again, he's another manager who is going to um, prioritize, um, you know, physical qualities as well as, as technical qualities. Now he may, he may be a little bit more higher on the technical quality side of things, which I suppose is what the hope is so that, so that you can implement players like Rodrigo. Um, but I, I think for, for a lot of people there, there's a, generally that that 
um, on an inability to actually focus on the fact that it is about physical quality with Bielsa. And so that complexifies things because they, they want to think, oh, you know, bring in this really good dribbler or bring in this sort of, um, yeah, really, really, you know, really flair player who's going to make a big difference and, and score a lot of goals. And it just doesn't work that way. Is that, I mean, just the final part on this one, really, I mean, I've got to bring up Rafinha into this because ultimately it, it's, you know, his exit has come at a time when he's been making big decisions over the player who I'm and many others will consider your best player, your most exciting player. What what was that about? And what do you, how do you read into that situation of him being left out? Yeah, Rafinha is a really interesting one, actually, because I think if you think of what what is it that Rafinha does really well, and I think it's, it's just transitional football where he's, Got able to run with the ball and he's able to get isolated one v one versus defenders, get in behind and 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 create something for the for, for a teammate or score himself. Yeah. Um, he's a real moments player, um, and I guess that makes again it makes it difficult to fit him into a team that is all about process. Um, this last season, Rafinha, it felt like he was almost like a satellite around our our system. So he sort of floated around and did things and pulled things off. Um, and this season, the system just hasn't worked as well. And so it's just sort of felt as though he's been the only outlet we've had. Mm-hmm. And so we've ended up seeing Rafinha doing a lot of hero ball, I think, um, trying to just dig us out of situations. And it happened at the beginning of the season. Like He, he pulled us out of so many games. He, he uh, generated... I remember we drew, we drew early on with Burnley. He basically completely stacked um uh, charlie taylor uh, uh, in the left back position and created the chance that we scored from to level up he scored a late goal against everton to draw us level against them as well um and i think what's happened more recently is that just oppositions have recognized that as you've said he is our most dangerous player so they do things to impact the the moments that he has and mm. yeah i think that that has sort of contributed to the decline that Leeds have had as the season's gone on as well, because there is that realisation that if you can stop Rafinha, then you're going a long way towards stopping Leeds as well. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose that's why Bielsa pulls him out and goes, right, well, okay, if you're not going to be able to create anything and you're not a system player anyway, you are the outlier, then let's throw another player in there and then it's not as easy to suggest how you shut down a team's creative spark. But in the same time, you're pulling out your best player and that's a that's a tricky kind of thing to, to deal with. Um, I mean, that takes us probably on quite nicely to the last point, John. Yeah, the final point is that the thing I learned from having Marcelo Bielsa manage my club is that his off-field performance will gradually be overshadowed by, uh, will, will gradually overshadow, sorry, his on-field performance. So stuff we've touched on already, uh, difficulties in terms of squad churn in particular. Um, he likes to have a small squad. Uh, he's very he's very loyal to players. Um, so there's certain players who've just played so many minutes under him and if they're fit, they play basically. Um, he's also just a very, I think a very stubborn man, very, very principled and, and knows exactly what he thinks, which has made a lot of uh, off-field stuff quite difficult. And I think the the management at Leeds were happy to let that slip when things were going well. But I think as soon as things then go badly, you, you sort of very quickly get into a, a train of thinking, well, you know, it's not working on the p- pitch. The off-field, off-field stuff is awful. Uh, so maybe it's better for for things to move on. And I think it's no surprise that as soon as we hit a bump in the road in four seasons, uh, we started seeing leaks for managerial replacements. So um, it's it's not uncharacteristic. I think if you know anything about the history of Marcelo Bielsa and, and his time at other clubs, that that's the way it goes. Um, 
it's all great when it's great, but then as soon as it goes sour, it's it's very hard to salvage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what do you see happening now? Do you think he'll retire? Do you do you think do you want to see him go into another club? Would you follow him at another club? Like, how do you see this coming out? Yeah, it's funny because Bielsa was always like a, a favourite of mine before he came to Leeds. So okay. I always sort of knew what he was up to. So no doubt that will that will will happen. I'm sure that will happen with a lot of Leeds fans if he takes up another job. Um, what I expect he'll do is, I think the Leeds job is going to hurt. This is going to hurt him uh, mm. a lot. Uh, I, I felt that he wasn't, he was ready to stay longer. Um, and I think a lot of this has happened so quickly, like the decline has just been so precipitous that he will take a while to get over it. He's gone back to Argentina, I believe. So I guess he will chill out there for a, for a while. And um, yeah, the question is whether or not he feels that call again, that, that itch to, to get back into management. There's a lot of people suggesting he might just take a smaller job in Argentina, um, which is possible, but I'm, I'm sure there'll be big clubs that will, will go in for him. Um and uh, you know, time is that that old healer. So I'm sure that w- he'll, he'll forget what's happened here. But I think a lot of other clubs will forget about how badly it it sort of ended up going at, at the end. But um, it's just it's really tricky to to have him as a manager because you just have to accept that you sort of have to allow it to be his way or the highway. And the the problem is, is you then have to make those tricky decisions about at what point does he start becoming a net negative rather than a net net positive. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, maybe we should have got rid of him in the summer, but if you'd have suggested that in the summer, people would have thought you were nuts. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's, it's a really tricky one. As I've, as I've said at length, I think that we should have waited out till the end of the season. I think that we don't gain a huge amount of odds in, in, in turning things around at this point. But having said that, it does seem as though the players have, he's lost the players. And so you just kind of think, well, Better to just bring someone else in and maybe ride that boost a little bit and see if you can yeah, get anything Yeah, I think from that's it. the sad thing about it because the players, lo- they love Bielsa. They love Bielsa. It was just like, you say they lost him and they kind of did. I think it was just that they just knew they couldn't win. They couldn't convince him to change this way of playing. And and in the end, they were just getting picked apart hmm. constantly. And, and that's traumatising as a player. Like, you know, stepping out into that pitch against Tottenham, as soon as you're 1-0 down, I can't even imagine what they're feeling and looking at the dugout, knowing that it's not going to change. He's not suddenly going to switch to plan B. Very difficult. But I think there's that deep dive, deep love for, for Bielsa from, from them too, as well as the fan base. It's tricky because I, we've talked a lot on our channel about it being maybe the right time to get rid of Bielsa. And I think it becomes very binary for the fan base. To be, if you're suggesting Bielsa goes, you hate Bielsa. And if you, you, want, if you love Bielsa, then you want him to stay. But I, it, it's, that, it's all part of that like, ambiguity that you have with Bielsa that you can, you can simultaneously entirely love him and want to lay down your life for him. But on the other hand, recognize that keeping him longer is bad for your, your club. And that's that again. That's probably why it's been so tricky in the last few days to sort of come to terms with it, because you do have those those roiling emotions inside of you where you're like, this is a, a this is on the one hand probably a good thing, but it's also just undeniably a bad thing, and it complexifies your emotions because you think you, you feel guilty for thinking, well, you know, I'm going to try and think rationally about this from the side of the club, <laughs> but you feel as though you're letting him down in some way because you you just want every good thing to happen to him. Yeah, 
I mean, I suppose there's also the kind of overarching thing of international management and 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 whether that is the the next call. And you know, Chile are uh, still refer to themselves, if I'm not mistaken, as the widows of Bielsa, the the fan base. They're three points off the qualification. Got to go to Brazil next. Could well be out of it. And you imagine if they fail to qualify for the World Cup, then Lasato might be out there. There's also this kind of overwhelming one that always gets linked is, is Mexico if, if when Tata Martino decides that he's going to call it a day there. And if he could take that side on, feels like the kind of you know job that might suit him and might think at this point, you know, maybe international football and those kind of short, sharp bursts of it are actually where this could stay and play the longest and actually be a, a long-term solution. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it's a it would be a much more laid back approach to to management. Obviously, with the the sort of huge swathes of time that you have between fixtures, so that, that might be his compromise with his wife. I don't know that that he can stay <laughs> in management and uh, and yet still feel as though he's having an impact at the highest level. I remember yeah. Roy Hodgson saying, like thinking similarly. Obviously, he was still England manager at the, at the age that Bielsa is now. Bielsa sixty six, isn't he? Um, so you've got Roy Hodgson right now. He's seventy four years old. He's, he's just taken up another job with Watford. You know, did three four years with, with Crystal Palace. Like the right jobs come up. It's so tempting for these guys to go back in because it's been their whole life. It is their passion, and they just have to say to their wives, "Well, it's quite local. Just, just <laughs> let me go do it. I'll be I'll be back home by five. <laughs> yeah, these guys are institutionalized, aren't they? It's like the Shawshank Redemption, the guys who spend their whole life in a prison and then as soon as they get out, they just can't deal with it. And I think I'm sure that will be the case for Bielsa. I think he just, I, I don't think he's done with management personally, but we'll see what happens. Okay. All right, John, before we go, just a quick word on on Jesse Marsh. I know we've spoken about him very briefly across the course of this. Just... This is a tricky task for Jesse. He's had a, a tough year um, in so many ways. We saw before he took the Leipzig job, his, his wife just got the all clear from cancer. So he said he was potentially not going to take that Leipzig job at, at one point because of, of how bleak it looked. It's gone in there. It hasn't quite gone to plan, but there have been moments that you've seen. And and I think the fact that Christopher Nkunku is having such a brilliant season is, is, is very much to do with the way that Jesse Marsh utilised him. What are your thoughts for the rest of the season and just how, how this kind of adaptation process goes? Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. I think a lot of people think that because they're similar in style, Bielsa and Marsh, the transition won't be won't be tricky. There's a lot that changes though. I mean, Marcelo Bielsa's teams are designed to build up in wide areas, um, and 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 obviously play man to man. Jesse Marsh's teams, well, build up very directly through the centre of the field, uh, and they they use a sort of I guess you'd call it zonal, but it's it's, it's a really vigorous counter press. Um, where they look to just, if they turn the ball over in their direct attacks, they try and win it back quickly and spring a counter-attack from there. So very, very different style of football, despite the fact that it is, you would say, the elements of the style are are still still there. So I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think that the Leeds fans are fed up of feeling as though teams can walk through the middle uh, against us. Uh, but I think that they'll very quickly realise that, that, Jesse Marsh's style, you fill the, the you fill the middle, so there won't be any of that. But you'll you definitely have space in wide areas. You definitely have space in behind as well. So it's going to be chaos ball still. I think um, it's going to be a different flavor of chaos ball. And Nick, he's got a massive task on his hands because not only has he replaced probably the 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 most f- famous. Leeds manager of all time, which I think is you know is saying something given some of the candidates in there. Um, but he's also got to keep leads up. He's also got to get results because if he doesn't, then the fan base response is going to be, "Why did we get rid of Bielsa?" Like, if we if we go down, 
with Marsh, then people will say, well, forever. Well, Bielsa probably would have done it. You know, counterfactual history mm. is 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 always that way inclined. And yeah, if you go straight through a season where you fail with probably the second best squad in Germany to then failing with with a, a Premier League side and, and getting them relegated, his his career is going to be starting to be talked about in in very negative terms i think so massive massive thing for for jesse marsh to go through as well but yeah i'm i'm trying to stay neutral i um i i do th- i do think that people are brushing over the the leipzig uh, tenure that he had uh, i i guess that's just because it's one blip in a in a pretty illustrious career in many respects but um, i do think it's interesting that that the red bull model which prioritizes this particular style of play has actually sort of had a loss loss of nerve at the very highest level and recognized that actually you can't really play red bull football and challenge at the highest echelons of of, of the elite game. So mm. what that means about Leeds I don't know whether or not that's there's going to be a recognition that actually there's a, a ceiling and it's probably a, a ceiling of around ninth in the Premier League as we saw last season. Um but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating run to the end of the line for sure. Absolutely. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real, real pleasure. And uh, we just remind everyone where they can find your stuff, where they're looking for more. Yeah, so my Twitter is at John underscore McKenzie. All Stats on We is a channel which is dedicated to the stats and tactics of Leeds United. So if you're a Leeds fan, then head over to at, at All Stats on We on Twitter. And then you mentioned... Um, my new podcast about tactics, which is called a podcast about tactics. It's um, nice. It's very much Ron Seal does what it says in the tin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I thought a little bit about maybe coming up with a smart name and I was like, you know what? Uh, one of my friends suggested, I just call it a podcast about tactics. And I was like, you know what? Why not? Um, so that's actually kicking off. I'm recording the, the pilot episode of that tonight. Um, so that will be that will be dropping at some point in the next few weeks, um, and that is a podcast about tactics. I'm I'm going to try and make it engaging. I think there's a lot of tactics nerdery out there on the internet, so if you want to have uh, engaging content with interesting people talking about what football clubs are trying to do on the pitch, then then do check that out. And that's at Pod About Tactics uh, on Twitter. I, I, I'm early enough to not really know if that's right, so <laughs> I'm hoping right. it's the correct one. <laughs> Absolutely, John. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure as always. Yeah, it's great coming on. Thank you guys. Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you again to John for bringing us such knowledge and expertise and insight on Leeds United and what it meant to be a Leeds fan under Bielsa there. Talking of knowledge and expertise, we've brought an old friend back to the pod to give you a little bit on what Jesse Marsh brings to the table. Earlier on, I spoke to Jasmine Baba, German football expert, about what she thought Jesse Marsh would be looking to implement when he got to Leeds. And I started off by asking her what his philosophy was and what he brought to the table. So in terms of change of footballing philosophy, it's not a big jump. So that should be something that's quite comforting to Leeds fans. Um, I know in the end of the day that Bielsa's football tactics weren't working, but it's not, you don't want to go a completely different footballing philosophy because that takes ages to change. And if you're in more of a relegation fight. You want something that fits quite quickly to get those results. So um, again, it's very much um, a similar intensity. However, when you press, it's going to be a little less than Bielsa's football. They will choose certain moments when to press and that should take a lot of the weight off those Leeds players. In terms of... um, 
formation. I know it's been a lot of, uh, I think, a 4-1-4-1 and some other formations Bielsa's used. You can see more uh, full box too. I'm really excited to see if he does some um, tinkering with squad, like individual roles, because we saw at Leipzig um, Marsh move Nkunku into a more forward role, which has gotten the best out of Nkunku. Absolutely, so if yeah. he does that with Rafinha, it will be really exciting to see. I also think Rodrigo and even maybe from what I remember of seeing Daniel James, he might suit that structure really, really well because he's really pocket fast. He's like a little rocket. Um, so those are the kind of players and kind of intensity that we will hope to see. Um, with the pull ball, we're more likely to see him play um, vertical, so quick actions to move towards the goal. Um, people like to... It is basically a Ralph Ragnick style of football, but people will be, and especially I think a few fans who like to dig into Man United at the moment, will try and be like, oh, this is a bad thing. But I think you have to remember there's some clear differences between Leeds and Man United. Man United have not performed to their capabilities for a couple of years now. Um, really, I would say, shoddy management from top low. And also they've had a coach who didn't coach for three years before coming to Man United. Ralph Ragnick's only taken two years of coaching in the last 10 years. Whereas Justin C. Marsh is a current coach. He's a lot more a lot more modern. And he's a Champions League coach who has done it recently, played the big teams, and is also very well liked. He has a very emotional feature and can be really well liked. And I think the Leeds players will really take up to him. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Because these Leeds players loved Bielsa. And, and you can see that from the kind of outpouring of grief that, that's gone away from them. But I think that they've, you know, bonded to him over a period of time. Jesse Marsh is the kind of character you think that can come in and take that kind of, OK, I'm here to kind of sort this out. And, you know, the rumours are that some of the Leeds players went to you know, Marcelo Bielsa last week and said, look, can we try and maybe adapt a little bit more? And Bielsa was like, no, this is how I play football. And that's fine because that's how Bielsa is. Um, but it's, it's led to what we have now. You can imagine Jesse Marsh being far more of, you know, one, willing to listen to people, one, making it that kind of group environment, and two, kind of trying to bend, bond everyone together, you know, as this is, you know, a relegation fight, as you say, a, a scrap that leads probably only need a couple of wins to get out of. But at the moment, it feels like morale must be through the floor. Marsh feels like the kind of person who come in and turn that round quite quickly. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. He does not see himself as um, a manager, a leader in that kind of sense. He sees himself as part of the team. Um, so absolutely right. If it's anyone to actually bring morale, it's some, someone like that. Um I think one of his halftime speeches went viral. I think yeah. I don't have to say it. If it might be ingrained in some people's minds, but just in case you haven't watched it, um, halftime against Liverpool in the Champions League, I think it was the second group stage match against Liverpool away at Anfield. Um, there is a famous halftime speech from him. 
where he goes, um, this is not a blank for dramatic effect or and a rude word, um, a friendly game. And that made the round. So he is quite um, compassionate. He is quite emotional. He likes to rally the group around him. And that is something that we've seen under Salzburg. Um, and yeah, you can... I know there is some feelings about where he's managed and how he's managed, but if you want a really good idea of how he does things, you just need to look at any of those Champions League games under Leipzig and under Der Salzburg, because those are so highly entertaining, shows off his complete skill, and also he's, he's he doesn't cower down. Big team, small team, he does not cower down, and I think that is the kind of personality and kind of tactics that you need to get out of this relegation fight. It's also something that I think will resonate with Leeds fans, you know, being able to stand up and, you know, and swing punches, even if the opponent is coming in and bigger. And and look, when Bielsa Ball was introduced to the Premier League in that first game against Liverpool, where Leeds lost 4-3 at Anfield, everyone was kind of in awe of the fact that Leeds went and went for it. They're not going to lose that under Marsh, which I think is a nice thing. It's a good trait, you know, to be able to stand up. But, you know, as you say, that kind of transitional football, that kind of direct football often works best when you are the underdog. And Leeds will be underdogs in most of these games consider where they are in the table and the squad that they have at their disposal and I think that makes for an interesting point that you know Marsh might relish the idea here of coming into a team who are being written off in some quarters he's being written off already in some quarters and he'll go right let's turn this around and, and bring things through both in a tactical sense and in a personality one yeah absolutely I think the fact that he is seen as an underdog he'll prefer um both if it's by the fans, if it's by media, if it's in the actual games, he likes that. I think he will favour and relish that fight uh, more than if the pressure was on him like it was in Leipzig. Well, thank you so much to Jasmine for coming on. It's always so good to have her insight on the podcast. If you want to go and follow Jasmine, she's underscore Jasmine Baba on Twitter for more German football insight. But now it's time, Dean for everybody's favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. Plenty of contenders. <laughs> this week's Melon of the Week is Stuart Dallas. I thought you were going to do that. I had to I keep it on the Leeds theme, didn't I? I had to. There was a lot of contenders, you're right. Um, but look, we've been talking about Bielsa um, and look, one of the things that didn't help him out here was... The fact that Stuart Dallas had the chance to score in front of an open goal and didn't. Look, uh, Leeds went into the game against Tottenham without winning five matches and smashed for six by Liverpool. And then within 27 minutes, they're 3-0 down because Matt Doherty, Dejan Kulusevski and, and Harry Kane have all scored. Um, Leeds were better after half-time and look, they had a chance to get back in this match. Hugo Lloris came out with his goal and... You know, his clearance didn't go well. And Dallas suddenly found himself with virtually an open goal. Now, search his name on Twitter and you will see the images. You'll see the memes. Like, the goal is literally gaping. Um, the ball is there to to just literally slot in. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work out for him. It doesn't work out. He, he takes a lifetime to get round to having this shot. And by the time he does, it's blocked. 
Um, oh, it was such a shame. Look, that it could have it could have gotten back in the game. It might have even sparked a comeback that meant Bielsa was still in charge today. Who knows what could have come from that moment? We'll never know because Stuart Dallas did not make the most of the opportunity. I don't want to be too down on Stuart Dallas because he's been absolutely remarkable footballer for Leeds in the past few years while they've been on this rise. But it was a melanish moment, I'm afraid, mate. And in it's going to be remembered as one of the biggest missed opportunities of the season. Yeah, it was uh, it was a real, real like big one, wasn't it? It just felt like he delayed and delayed and delayed, and then when you delay that much, he could have just rolled it across the goal, and then it didn't happen either way. And you're like, oh god, Stuart Dallas has been an unbelievable player, yes, and yeah. he was, you know, it was a one of the first guests we ever had on this pod. Wow, he um, was. so worth worth pointing that out as well. But it was some melanish behaviour this week. So sorry, Stu, um, we like do it. appreciate it. But um, one of one of those, just a bad day at the office. Bad day at the office. I thought you might go Kepper, and then like kind of reverse to my starting off with with Kevin Keller but equally it did feel a bit like he was kind of chucked chucked into a situation where he couldn't win really yeah I mean Um, had a horrible day at at the office Um, how long did he actually play for and how long did that penalty shoot out last it's it's 10 minutes I think it's the worst I think it's the worst cameo I've ever seen he came on he took a goal kick he then dived the wrong way for nine of 11 penalties and then screwed let all 11 in, didn't save the ones that were hit right at him. Uh, Van Dijk got so upset that he literally kicked it straight through him, <laughs> through, through Kepa. He got penenkered by Fabinho um, and then he spanked his own penalty over the bar. That might well be the worst. Yeah, know, it was awful. Time. It was melanish, but um, uh, I spared him more. You spared him the thoughts. Yeah, spared yeah him. trying not to give it to a keeper spared every single upset, week anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. All right. That is the gibberish alarm. And given Sam's absence on a sixpence, um, we've had to pivot. Um, So I'm going to do this. And on the back of this, I've come up with something very quick. um, Because when we were planning this podcast and I was talking about who I was going to pick for my thing we love, um, both Dean and producer Sammy um, were questioning how you pronounce Quaveen Kelleher's name. Um, so I decided to do a quick thing on Quaveen. A quick thing on Irish names that are said wrong um, or, or, or spelt wrong on a, on a kind of regular basis um, from from these experiences. Yeah. So uh, we chuck it in, um, and we'll start with Siobhan, which is um, my aunt's name. Okay, uh, and Siobhan, as I call her. One of those. Yeah, you call her Siobhan. Um, <laughs> Which is spelled S I O B H A with a fodder N, um, and yeah, the, the amount of things. Are, I, I think this is so funny because I've seen some Americans start to write the name Siobhan as S H E V O N, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, hold, hold up, there, selector. Siobhan um, mixed up with the chevron. That is, <laughs> now, that's very different. But Siobhan is constantly pronounced wrong, um, and constantly spelled wrong. Um, the one I think is really funny is that. My aunt is is known as Shiv. Um, it's shortened. And then, how do you spell it? Do you write Shiv S I O B H, no, which is how it would be, or do you H I V? And then you change, start to change different things up, right? Um, that that's the kind of different ways of doing yeah. it. But Siobhan is one that's uh, that's annoyed people for years. It is. Um, in it too, I'm gonna go with, with probably the most famous Irish name of all time, which is Patrick, but in its native form, which is. Well, it can be pronounced in two different ways. It can be pronounced Pordrick or Porrick, and it's P-A-D-R-A-I-G. And I remember there was a famous golfer called Porrick Harrington. And um, 
his name was butchered by everyone under the sun. Padraig was... I've call, was I still was call him Padraig to this day. Uh, this is the first <laughs> yeah, I've heard to, that that's not his name. To his face. <laughs> he think, used, to, oh, wow. used to cover golf. <laughs> you know what? There's a fair chance that I have actually done that, yeah. Because I, <laughs> I used to be sent to cover major golf competitions and tournaments. I'm not sure why they did that, but still amusing. What, that he used to be just there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. It's the, uh, I was writing for like yeah. golf magazines. <laughs> there you go. A man of many talents. No, Padraig Harrington, uh, mate, is very, very good at golf. <laughs> yeah, well, he was very, very good at golf. But I'd say that was his name. So how do I say it again? Yeah, Porrick or Podrick, but Porrick normally. Porrick. Um, no, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, there you go. Um, and at top, uh, and taking some inspiration from the goalkeeper, mm. um, we're going to go with the, the female kind of version of it. Um, as he's Quivine, and uh, this is Kiva or Quiva, depending on where you are in Ireland. Um, but Quiva mostly, um, C A O O I M H E. Um, Sorry, it's, it's one that C A O I M H E. Kima, Kima, Quiva, Kima. <laughs> no, that's 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 a different Why thing. Why Quiva? Where's the verb? That's a non. That's a non bread. What's this sound um, that they've come up with that doesn't exist? I don't. That's what I can't. Well, MHs and BHs are are different sounds. Like Neve is N I A M H, which is Neve. Um. Um. Or Neva, but um. It's yeah. There's some tricky things in here, and I appreciate that. Yeah, but. Quiver, yeah, C A O I M H E. It's like a different I thought that language. That one would that would really, yeah, it almost is like a different language. There you go. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, there, yeah, a couple of names. Honestly, there you could go you. on all day because there are I could so do, yeah. many that I just have I always like never got my head around, or even attempted to, because I'm like, I can't do it. I grew up, up with a lot of Oshins and Owens and Owen you know, got me e- for years. E O G H A N. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. There's there's loads like that, but no, well done, mate. Because I mean. I mean, you, you do claim We have to had Irish. to come up with that on the yeah. spot. And obviously, as someone who's, what are you, one-eighth Irish or something. Oh, here we are. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is as bad as when I was said that le- apparently relegation was a good thing on Monday. Oh, yeah. uh, on Monday's page, where Sam decided to stop making up things that I'd said <laughs> uh, and attribute them to me. So uh, there we go. Um, and I think with that, we should probably call this a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to John McKenzie for joining us and talking us about all things Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United. Uh, thank you to Jasmine Baba for talking to us very briefly about Jesse Mar. Thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones for your thoughts and important influence as ever. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> Doesn't sound very convincing, but thanks. Yeah, that's it. You've uh, you've upset me now by saying I'm an eighth <laughs> Irish. Uh, thank you very much to me. Um, thank you very much to Sam Ty. He wasn't here. He's, I hope he gets better with his with his prawns. Uh, this has been Ranks FC. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We will see you next week. Where we'll be back right amongst it uh, in the European Canada. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Take it easy. Peace.